because all of a sudden we had lots of negative headlines. Um, we had the background of why the the, the by election had been caused and 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 the um, accusations of sleaze. And and I'll I'll be honest, it was tough. It was tough. Um, and there were those felt like day after day the negative headlines coming through, and there were the attacks by the opposition. Um, but it's it's during those really tough days that you draw upon your resilience, and you've got that you've got that pint glass, haven't you? And there's there's so much you so much resilience you've got in there, but you take a sip of it, but you can still replenish it. And it's the support of your family and friends that that get you through it. My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. Dr Neil Shastri-Hurst shot to public attention during the North Shropshire by-election, an election he unfortunately didn't win, but is generous enough to share his lessons learned in this episode. Neil is a former army doctor and has now turned to law, called to the bar as a qualified barrister. Neil witnessed service growing up in the house that doubled up as the local GP surgery, and it's clear that public service is in his DNA. North Shropshire will not define his journey into politics, but is part of the story. It's time for you to meet our guest. Neil Shastri Hurst is a former army doctor turned barrister in civilian life, a conservative activist and most famously fought the North Shropshire by-election for the Conservative Party and has been around our campaign force community for a while. Neil, how are you, mate? It's We haven't spoken to each other since the by-election, so how's how's things going? No, they're, they're going all right, thanks, Johnny. Um, I feel like I've really made the big time now that I've got onto the podcast, so uh, I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Uh, well, no, I've been meaning to get you on for a while, but obviously um, you've been a busy guy. Uh, and I know you've had a recent addition to the family too. Um, so congratulations on Thanks that. Thanks very much. Yep, five months today. <laughs> today. Well, I wanted to stay away, give you a bit of space because you fought a very public by-election um, on TV, a national by-election, lot riding on that and all eyes on. So I just wanted to keep give you a bit of distance because clearly you've, got, you've been doing a bit of uh, looking back and lessons learned during that time. But before we get into all of that, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about your military service? Obviously, I've introduced you as an army doctor, but tell us a little bit about that and what inspired you to serve in the first place. Yeah, well, my, both my parents were, worked in the NHS. My dad was a, a GP for 40 years. My mum was a nurse. Uh, my maternal grandfather was a career civil servant, worked across all of Whitehall. And my paternal grandfather was a government uh, pharmacologist. So there was this golden thread that went through our family in terms of public service um i'm going to get shot down for this now i originally thought about joining the senior service 
we uh, we had a really good family friend chap called Henry Clark um who I used to play cricket with and he used sherry bottles um as the stumps um but anyway uh, that's going by the by but he'd served in the navy during the second world war um and he'd be spinning his dits about uh, his time on HMS Ulysses and and all the things he got up to in far eastern ports um and I thought I'll follow in his footsteps and I'll join the navy um went to med school thought a bit more seriously about it um had a look at across all the three services thought I'm probably not going to get in the marines all the women in the navy go on the fleet so I'll end up in a submarine and wasn't entirely sure that that was my kind of uh, kind of gig um and in fact I looked at the army and I thought this this hits all the opportunities uh and challenges I'm looking for so uh put in my application got a medical cadetship and and at that point I started taking the queen shilling so graduated med school my first posting was up to MDHU North Allerton so that covered sort of Catterick Garrison and, and the northeast um I was there for a couple of years and then I went down to Sandhurst did the PQO course or Vickers and Tarts as I think it's still called um and then my my role specific training um spent most of my time with Five Med uh, and Fifth Regiment Royal Artillery up in Catterick. Um, although I was out supporting other units such as Black Watch uh, and Scots Guards for a while. Um, and most of my time was actually on SLE, which was what the Rapid Reaction Task Force was called in those days. I can't remember what it's called now, but anyway. Um, so I was on SLE, got mobilised in with Libya in 2011. Um but embarrassingly, and this is the sort of thing you shouldn't say on a podcast uh, to veterans, uh, embarrassingly, I never deployed on Herrick. Um, and I have to admit, Johnny, that's a bit of a sore because you'd see all your mates, uh, all your colleagues going out there. Some of them would pay that ultimate sacrifice. And I think deep down, there's that sense of guilt that you've not done your bit. Um, but ultimately, you go where. You go where you're told to go and you serve where you're, you're told to serve. Um, but, but I, you know, that still rankles. Um, so after I left regular service, I, I, I maintained that military link. I worked at UHB, which is University Hospitals Birmingham. And as you'll know, that's, that's the uh, home of RCDM. And I had a dual military uh, civilian role. So I was still part of that Kazovac chain for guys coming back from ops. Um, and I, you know, I think that was a really special job because a I maintained that military link, but also we were using all those skills that were developed um, from Iraq, from Afghanistan, and applying those in the civilian setting as well. And we were seeing people come back with injury severity scores that were unsurvivable um, five years earlier, and we're now seeing them back in clinic, and they were moving on with their lives and their families and, and you know that was a fantastic privilege to be part of that well i can only say that that point you've raised about herrick um i mean when when telic was happening i was in Vardazair having the time of my life as a ski rep so um it drove me when i returned from that to re-enlist into the reserves and obviously before you know it you end up somewhere hot and sandy and i did do herrick 
but I get that sense of guilt because I lost a, a school friend on Telic, uh, and that was that was really difficult for me as all my friends were on that particular time on operations and there I was having the time of my life so I completely get that and also really just to thank you and your colleagues in those cluster of hospitals and our colleagues um, that came back and survived those and and obviously sadly some that didn't those life-changing injuries and um, life-taking injuries because I've been a beneficiary of that in civilian medical technology having had my own limb saved thanks to the experiences of of you and your colleagues so i just really thank you um and your colleagues in the nhs for everything that you've done for us both uh, serving and civilian uh, during that time um now that's that's been a bit of a whistle stop tour uh, so people might be quite surprised that in fact you've now made a switch from medicine to law um so you like to shoot the one, isn't it johnny yeah <laughs> Let's choose the easy careers. You know, we're not much study and, and things. Um, so what, what? Yeah, I've signed a contract now with my wife. I'm never doing another set of exams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, a bit of an odd choice. Uh, I accept that. Uh, I was diagnosed with a neurological condition, uh, peripheral neuropathy. That affects my, my hands and my feet. Um, and, you know, having been under the knife yourself, you'd probably quite like a, a surgeon that's a bit more dexterous and can probably tie their knots all right. And I was getting to the stage where, uh, you know, that that was going to become a bit of a problem. So um, clearly continuing in surgery was no longer going to be a, a viable option. Um, but I always found, you know, working, working in medicine is a massive privilege. You see people at their most vulnerable and you are you're given, they're, they're, they're putting their trust in you uh, to be able to look after them. And that that is a huge privilege. Um, but I was always one of those more surgically minded medics. Um, and that's that's what I love doing. Uh, my, my mates who are physicians would say it's because I wasn't bright enough to pass the, uh, the MRCP, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, move on from that. Um, but when you find out you can't do something you, you really love, you know, that is a massive blow and it does take time to, to adapt to, but anybody who's been in the military knows no plan survives first contact and you, you've got to, you've got to regroup. You've got to think about what to do next. You've got to pay the mortgage. You've got to keep the wife happy and all of those things. So, um, uh, we were, in fact, we were just about to get married, Naomi and I, um, and I looked around at various options, um, and I decided to go for the bar. I I already sat on the the MPTS, which is the uh, GMC's Fitness for Practice panel, as a medical tribunal member. That had developed an interest in medical law, um, so I went back to school. Um, I did the GDL, which is the one year law conversion for those that have a good degree. Um, I then did the bar course, and then you go through a process where you uh, you're applying for pupillage, which is sort of like a year long job interview um bag carrier team maker extraordinaire um and you join an in and it, you do these qualifying sessions which are a bit like mess nights but slightly less raucous and with slightly duller after dinner speeches about some niche area of contract law or something um so fast forward a few years i'm now at a fantastic set of chambers number five um doing a, a broad healthcare related uh law practice 
predominantly in clinical negligence and inquest work, do a bit of regulatory stuff and um, carrying on with my, my tribunal work with the MPTS. So that's a whistle stop tour. Wow. Well, and the, the transfer of skills as well. So all that medical knowledge and experience and how that's merged into your new career is, is pretty phenomenal. And another career that you, notes. Say again? can read the notes, John. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't write them though, because no one understands. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we've all seen your writing. Um, but no, and and then you've taken the step into politics, another profession uh, that you've recently been engaged with. And tell us, can you tell us a little bit about you know what is your why? Why why have you why have you wanted to step forward to be a, a political campaigner and activist? And uh, and perhaps we'll talk about that that by election, shall we? Of uh, North Shropshire. Yeah. That I thought, I, thought I was going to get away without that, Johnny. Sorry, but, um, mate, um, I'm going to give a really old fashioned answer, but I think there's something about duty, and I've been really lucky in my life. Um, you know, we all have ups and downs, but I've been really fortunate. I've had opportunities to um, get a good education, come from a loving family, um, be comfortably off, um, have opportunities that are available to me. And I think if you have those opportunities, it's really important to, to give something back, but also to ensure that others who are less fortunate than you have those opportunities and that that's my brand of politics it's about it's about giving people the skills and the opportunities to succeed it's about supporting societal values coming up from the bottom opposed to being imposed from from above and i i think if if you if you're that way minded if you feel you've got the skills to contribute um i think it it's a it's a pretty noble profession to go into it doesn't always feel noble but I think genuinely giving something back to the society in which you are a part of um, is a phenomenal privilege. And it, it's something I, I just had a burning desire to get involved in. Yeah, I guess give your parents background as well. It's, it's sort of set in your DNA as well. That's what you would have seen growing up. Um, yeah. A sense of service. Yeah. And, and, you know, our house was the, the local GP's house. Uh, dad's practice was a mile away and, it was in the days when you were doing one in two on calls. So mum would be answering the phone, um, taking messages for him. Dad would be out in the middle of the night. I mean, he delivered some of my mates. So it was proper cradle to grave general practice uh, where there was a GP maternity unit. Um, so, you know, you, you get to see that firsthand and you realise the importance. Little acts and, you know, I'm... I'm not going to suggest I'm going to go and change the world, but just little acts can make a massive difference. For example, getting that community bus service up and run so that those who are uh, more socially isolated um, can, can get out and, and do their shopping and go to the, uh, the community library makes a massive difference to those individuals. And it's those little steps that can make huge inroads to a community. Yeah, you saw service right on your doorstep, literally. As 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 uh, your father was uh, delivering babies on your doorstep, and and also, as I say to people, politics is on your doorstep, and you've got to care about the things that are right in front of your face before you get too grandiose about you know strategic um, foreign policy and all that good stuff that which is important, but it's right on your doorstep. If you don't care about that, how on earth are you going to compare or care about all those um, macro issues too? Absolutely, 
politics is personal, isn't it? Politics is about people and it's about, um, as I say, improving their lives. So everything starts with the smallest, smallest um, building block. Yeah. And well, you say a small building block, you took a, a huge step and you stood uh, in a national by-election and, um, in, and and talking of doorsteps, you got doorstepped by our good friend, Michael Crick. I've had the same. Uh, so when I worked for Grant Shapps, um, he was uh, doorstepped by Michael Crick. So um, yeah, when I when I saw that, I, I really did feel your pain, literally. Uh, but can you? <laughs> <laughs> we can laugh about it now, of course. Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about that by election? I mean, what did you learn? Um, whether whether you know, there must have been bits that you enjoyed, but clearly there's a massive disappointment as well, not getting the result. Yeah, no, absolutely. O- on Michael Crick, I- I'll just say. You know, he's a lovely guy and he's doing his job and he's doing it brilliantly. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, you know what you're in for when you know, you've got an interview with Michael. Um, you know, despite everything, and I've had a couple of months now to, to mull things over and, and think about it all and dissect it and reconstruct it and then dissect it again. But, you know, despite everything, it was the most incredible experience. Um, You'll, you'll know you, you've run elections before you've been around them uh, for, for years Johnny but um, there's something particularly unique about by-elections because they're, they're fought predominantly on very specific issues um, and it's an opportunity as we saw on this occasion to give the government of the day a bloody nose without actually changing the overall balance of, of, of parliament um, and I'd been on the approved list since uh, 2017 um, and I'd not had an opportunity to run in a parliamentary election in 2019. And so, you know, I was really itching to to get that opportunity um, and to go for it. And then you know, I talked long and hard about this over, over the years and said, well, you know, whenever an opportunity arises, we have to go for it. Um, and so with North Shropshire being in the West Midlands where I'm, currently the deputy chair political um i thought well that's a no-brainer i'm going to put my hat in the ring um but you'll recall yeah the reason behind this by-election was because of um patterson's resignation and uh my selection was about a week later so it was all pretty rapid um and then we're straight into the campaign um and it's probably worth pointing out george was three weeks old at this stage so I, i have a tremendously understanding wife <laughs> i don't think i can quite quantify with <laughs> how reasonable she had been um and it will be fair to say uh given the the reason for the by-election wasn't the easiest backdrop um i think it was robert harbin put in the the daily mail he said he was probably got the hardest job in british politics at the moment because all of a sudden we had lots of negative headlines um we had the background of why the the, the by election had been caused and 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 the um, accusations of sleaze and and I'll I'll be honest it was tough it was tough um, and there were those it felt like day after day the negative headlines coming through and there were the attacks by the opposition um, but it's it's during those really tough days that you draw upon your resilience and you've got that. You've got that pint glass, haven't you? And there's there's so much you so much resilience you've got in there, but you take a sip of it, but you can still replenish it. And it's the support of your family and friends that, that get you through it. 
Um, I think the main take home for me from that election was you can't talk to too many people. It's just not possible. Um, and it's those individual personal interactions that are so important in persuading people. And if I had my chance again, I would speak to all 80,000 people in North Shropshire um, and, and set out to them, you know, what I believed in and, and what I thought I could bring to the constituency. You know, clearly that's not possible. Um, and that's why we, you have a literature campaign and that's why it's, um, you know, that's critically important. But it, but ultimately politics is about those human interactions. Um, and I think the last thing I'd say is, you know, elections don't just happen. You have this tremendous team behind you. Um, and I had a fantastic campaign director in, in Tony Lee, uh, my agent was Max Hopful. It sounds like the Oscars now. We had a brilliant uh, DCP, uh, Phil Keeble, um, and, you know, so many others, Chris Murphy, Steve Bauer, Ted Fitter, uh, Megan Harris, all of these guys. And yes, it's their job, but they work unbelievably hard, unbelievably un antisocial hours away from their families and their loved ones uh, to get some bloke that they may not have met before the selection uh, elected. Um, and, you know, that that's hugely humbling. I'm not going to pretend it wasn't easy. It, it, sorry, I'm not going to pretend it was easy. I'm not going to pretend um, there, there were days where I thought, gosh, couldn't people have just behaved themselves a little better? But it was the most incredible experience, and I'm so pleased I did it. So hasn't put you off then? Not at all. Not at all um it's bruising um but you know as i was saying earlier it's it's an enormous privilege to seek to represent people um and i think what's often lost when we talk about politics particularly in recent years is that most people actually go into politics for positive reasons they, they want to make a difference don't they and irrespective of the color of your politics um and we, we all have different views on how we are going to achieve that change. I, I genuinely believe most people go into politics with good intentions. Um, and the key message I'd, I'd tell anybody who, who wants to follow through on this is that you've got to keep true to yourself. That's what's brought you into public service in the first place. Um, and in my, in my uh in my experience in, in North Shropshire, there was a period of time I was a I was a pretty public uh, punch bag for public anger at Westminster, uh, for attacks from the opposition. And, you know, I don't complain about that. That's the nature of politics. And, um, you know, that's something that you have to factor in. But what I do think is that social media has made that much easier and particularly the anonymous nature of social media. And you've got to be prepared for that to get under your skin. And it does, um, particularly when it attacks on, you know, family or, or personal attacks. And, that, and, you know, you can pretend that you're um, uh, you're resistant to it, but it but it does. Uh, it can gr gripe and grip. But I think the key is that you maintain your dignity. You remember why you went into public service, what motivated you to stand up and, and put your name on the ballot box, because actually 
you know, people don't say it, but it takes a bit of courage to do this. It's a massive popularity contest. I, I wasn't, turned out I wasn't that popular, but, you know, it's a massive popularity contest and um, you might not ultimately win, but ultimately you're responsible for the campaign you ran and the, and the way you ran it. And, you know, that's about your own personal values and standards. Oh, full credit to you, mate, because um, the way you've just recalled that is is pretty phenomenal. I'm honest because you, you, the, the dignity word um, has really resonated with me. Not only because you said it, but actually you've displayed it in in that recollection. And yeah, clearly I don't know about thick skin, but you certainly developed a, a, a raw hide. Uh, um, I think from from that that little taster of a, of a by election and being through a political all arms commando course essentially. Um, so I guess that when you go to your next seat. Uh, you, uh, well, I feel sorry for your activists because they're going to be out on the doorstep constantly by the sound of it. Because, uh, and I'm a big fan of the doorstep, so yeah, knock, knock, knock. Um, but I noticed actually that you were straight out campaigning, supporting other people in other elections. So clearly, it hasn't put you off, uh, and I'm pleased about that because uh, I think politics needs you. It really does. So, what does your political f- future look like, and um, and how are you going to apply all all of that? Well, I think the first thing to say, Johnny, is that um, politics is a team game. You know, I was absolutely humbled by the number of people that traipsed up to help support me. You know, it's a it's a pretty odd concept, isn't it? What what are you going to do on this wet, blustery, um, freezing cold Saturday or Sunday afternoon? Oh, I'm going to go and help some bloke that I may or may not have met before um, and deliver hundreds of leaflets. And if I'm lucky, I might get a, a mediocre warm cup of tea or something and a mini celebration or something like that but basically basically just describing how my wife and i met because that's how we dated come out campaigning i'm such a romantic very romantic romantic. you you know how to treat a lady don't you um (laughs) but you know people came up in in huge numbers and that as i say that is tremendously humbling Uh, and i wanted to repay that favor not just to my friends who came up but but to other activists and you know in any event Naomi wouldn't have me moping around the house for too long so she, she got me out doing something um so I think it was really important for me to get it back out there go and support those other campaigns and there's been plenty of campaigns to support since and there will be more to come um you know as I said it's it's not put me off at all I want to I want to run again I I think I've got something to offer um, and I think it would be, well, for me, it would be a huge privilege uh, to serve my country again. Um, that's what motivates me. Um, and dis- despite the result, I've, I've gained a huge amount of experience in a short period of time. I mean, you know, if, if you want to tick off the attributes you might need if you're going to run an election campaign, I've, you know, I've been cricked. That's all you need to have happened. Um, you know, that that's the definition of, um, of the... <laughs> That's a bit like the 40 miler at the end, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, conducting an election and well, it's a national election with international reach um, under such scrutiny um, in a, be fair to say, a very, very volatile political environment. Um, I think you could run another 50 elections and you wouldn't necessarily come under that scrutiny or that have that sort of perfect storm of events that were around you. And I think, I think that teaches something about yourself, uh, something about your character. Um, I think that can only hold me in good stead going forwards. 
I think you're right. Uh, and I said, I got to, not only ha- did I get cricked uh, when I was with Grant, but um, working for the party chairman and running his election campaign, um, yeah, you get, again, you're a bit of a lightning rod of crap um, that comes your way because, you know, you have those national figures to for the journalists to come for. And, and we had lots of fun and games in that 2015 general election. So I've got a, a percentage of a uh, an experience of what you went through, albeit you were under quite the microscope. Um, but I mean, you mentioned your family, and I think every every veteran I speak to uh, on this podcast, uh, family's mentioned some way along along the story. But how have your friends and family reacted to this? Um, clearly, you've got a, an immensely supportive wife. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> how, how I don't know what I did to deserve that. I have to say. You've done something right, mate. Um, so, I mean, how have they reacted in the, obviously, clearly they were very supportive in the, in the run-up, but how have your friends and your family reacted since to that experience? Yeah, as you say, they, they were unbelievably supportive. I mean, I, I'd have my six and two-year-old nephew, um, Henry and William, sending me a message every day uh, to sort of keep my spirits up. And I think it's it's really easy to take our family for granted during the good times, uh, but it's in the it's in the bad times that they really step up to the mark. Um, and sometimes it, it's little gestures, isn't it? It doesn't have to be a grand thing, but just sometimes that look my dad gives me or puts his hand on my shoulder or my mum gives me a hug or Naomi just says, right, come on, we're going out for a walk or something. Um, it's those things they... Because your family know you so well, they know how to pick you up when you're at your lowest. Um, and in the immediate aftermath of the, the election, I, I think, you know, you, you still have that bit of adrenaline that's that's driving you through. And then it we hit Christmas and all of a sudden you're an anonymous footnote in history. Um, and, you know, you're, you're kicking about the house and you're on, you're on Christmas leave between new year and you're moping about and actually it's your family who say something slightly amusing at your expense or decide to put all the opposition candidates as um uh if you play that game where you put names in a hat and then oh, you've, yeah. got to, you've got to explain them then you've got to do it in one word and then you've got to act it out yeah we'll try doing that over christmas when it's all the opposition candidates that you were fighting against right <laughs> So, you know, but it, it's that it's that process of bringing you down to ground and um, giving you a kick up the backside and saying, look, you know, it's not what you wanted. It's not great, but there's a whole life out there and there are a whole load of opportunities. Right. Let's get out and do them. Um, and then, of course, there are your friends, you know, both your political friends, but also your non-political friends. And I think, again, it's really important that. They don't t- treat you with kid gloves. They take the piss out of you. They uh, they tell you to, that it's your round in the pub and you can't get away with it because of election expenses anymore and all of that. And they just bring you down and they ground you. Um, I suppose what I'm trying to say in a, in a pretty uh, roundabout way is that, that you need that support network um, in whatever form it takes. And I think that's just hugely important. And, you know, when, I, when Naomi and I met, I'd, said to her this is what I want to do ultimately and um, I think it was really important that we had a very frank conversation about that because it's a partnership and I I certainly don't think I could have done it without Naomi's support um, particularly given the arrival of George I think that would have been would have been um, 
really difficult. So it's what I would say it's really important to make sure that both of you are content with that decision um, because politics can be all pervading and it's a it's a pretty all-consuming game. So um, you've got to make sure that you're both content with that. I think talking about family, Neil, we're end it there. And uh, let's see you on that next campaign, eh? Looking forward to it, Johnny. Thanks very much indeed. Hello, it's Johnny here. But guess what? It could be you right here on this part of the podcast. Whether you've got an organisation or a business or an individual that needs supporting, we are reserving this spot for members of our Parliamentary Business Club as a direct benefit of joining our club and supporting Campaign Force or indeed sponsors of the podcast too. So this is something that interests you, then get in touch at johnny at campaignforce.co.uk. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.